Thank you for joining us this evening for the first session of Heart Truths, a conversation series that's hosted by Free Community Church in conjunction with Pinkfest this year. I'm Pauline, the Executive Pastor of Free Community Church and your host for tonight. For those of you who are not familiar with FCC, we are a non-denominational, progressive Christian church that affirms all people, regardless of race, religion, nationality, gender identity, sexual orientation, economic status, or any other category. All people are individuals of sacred worth created in God's image. Free stands for first realize everyone's equal, equally beloved, equally of worth. While FCC as a church has its views on Christianity and sexuality, we make no requirement for participants to hold the same beliefs on faith and sexuality as us or to adopt them after participating in this conversation. Our intention is to allow stories to be heard so we can help build bridges of understanding and help folks who feel isolated and lonely hear echoes of their own stories here so they know they are not alone. With that, Let's start today's session. This evening, we are so privileged to have Sulin, Gui, and David with us. And let me just uh, introduce our speakers and our panelists uh, to you. Sulin is a fellow sojourner and learning how to walk each other home, a seeker of truth, authentic relationships, goodness, and the transcendent. She believes in the power of loving relationships and celebrating the diversity that exists in communities providing us glimpses of the divine. She has been in a life-giving relationship with her current partner for the past 17 years and finds purpose and meaning working as a creative producer and community worker doing arts-based community development. Welcome, Sulin. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pauline, and thanks, FCC, for having me. Um, it's really great to be back. Yeah, yes. welcome back. Yes, and back, right? Because as many of you may know, Sulin was actually the first pastor of FCC, and so we are so happy to welcome her back this evening. Uh, and then we have Gui. Gui Li Siu is a poet, an artist, and a literary critic. He comes to share his journey of faith at FCC yearly. Yes, he's one of our guest preachers here, and we're always very thankful every time he comes. So, Gui, thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, thank you, Pauline, for <laughs> inviting me down. Most Hope welcome. I can share something useful. Absolutely, and we are looking forward to what all of you get to share with us, all right? Uh, and lastly, we have David. David lived for 19 years in America before moving back to Singapore in 2016. He has been a member of FCC for four years and is currently on the board. He is married with two kids and works as an architect. So welcome, David. Thanks for being on our panel tonight. Thanks. <laughs> okay, so let's just get started, all right? Uh, I wanted to ask all of you to just share a little bit of your journey with us. I mean, how you got here in your viewpoints with regards to the LGBTQ community. But yeah, so maybe we could start with David. Please share your journey with us. Sure. Uh, so hi to everyone out there. Um, I can't see you, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm glad to get to know you all. Um, so, okay, a bit about my story. Um, I've been attending church since primary one, um, and I'm straight. I've been married 17 years. I have two awesome kids. Um, and I used to be, I would say, an evangelical of evangelicals. <laughs> um, I went to evangelical college in America. That's where I met my wife. 
Um, we both went to a variety of evangelical, Baptist, Presbyterian churches. We served as elders. We taught Bible study. Um, and we were both quite firmly against LGBT inclusion in church for many years. In fact, um, in one time in our denomination, it even came up for a vote at a national level. And my wife actually represented our region to vote against the initiative to redefine marriage to uh, be more inclusive. So that was where I was. Um, now, in 2015, uh, one of our friends from church uh, committed suicide. So she had come out as a lesbian, and she left the church. And uh, we didn't really know what were the details, why she ended her life. But we were really both sad that she felt she had to choose between being true to herself and belonging to a church. So I think that was when we started to think um, maybe we needed to rethink our theology and how we relate to LGBT people. Um, the year later, in 2016, the church we were attending in America had a sermon series called Forgive Us. And this was a really eye-opening series for us because it, it was about um, apologizing to the communities that the church had harmed over the years, which included um, racial minorities, women, um, people of other religions, and the LGBT community. So at this was a time my wife started a reading group where we actually started to read about the experiences of LGBT Christians. Um, we read a lot of books, uh, had long debates into the night. Um, this was when my mind started to change. Um, and at the same time, another thing happened. So I was attending a men's group, a weekly men's group, and I got to know uh, a friend who was a closeted gay Christian. Uh, now at the time, he, he claimed he was struggling with same-sex attraction. But I think um, and the longer we knew each other, he admitted to me and to himself, actually, in some sense, that he was gay. Um, and actually, what happened after that, the leadership asked him to leave the men's group. Um, he was asked to stop serving in church. So this was very hurtful for him. But in spite of being rejected by the church, what I saw as his friend was that he was growing towards greater mental wellness and healing in his life. Um, and I could see this was actually the repression had been what was harming him all these years. So all these things kind of combined to um, open my eyes, and it reshaped my understanding of uh, the traditional teaching on the issue. Um, so for the first time, I, I started to realize how much the church had hurt gay Christians and was continuing to do so. And I felt like I needed to do whatever I can, you know, no matter how small or big, to make it right. So when my family and I moved to Singapore, we actually Googled LGBT-affirming church, <laughs> And that's how we found FCC. Mm. And uh, we've been at FCC ever since and very glad to do so. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing, David. And that's such an amazing story, you know, of how we are able to actually shift uh, in our positions, in our thoughts, in our convictions, and our beliefs. And that, that's a real testimony of how God moves in our lives. And, we are, and at FCC, you know, all of us in FCC are so excited and happy that you and Wendy and the kids are, you know, with us, you know. And... Maybe we'll move to Sulin. Sulin, would you share a bit of your journey with us? Yeah. Um, where do I start? <laughs> um, well, I guess I'll start uh, with my first, uh, you know, same-sex relationship. So this was really in university um, that, you know, I had my first relationship and um, I guess fully embraced the fact that I'm lesbian. Um, I've always had close relationships with, you know, uh, women in my life, secondary school, primary school, secondary school, but this whole idea about, you know, uh, being lesbian and what that means and all of that wasn't in my consciousness back then. Um, I think largely because also going to a Methodist school and all of that, um, 
you know, it's something that is frowned upon, it's not accepted. So um, I think that world and, and, you know, was just close to me um, at that time. Uh, and I also had a, a boyfriend in secondary school as well. So, um, but, I, but, you know, this, this sense that, um, you know, I am attracted to, to the same sex, that uh, I can love someone as deeply, um, just sort of not going there, you know, because of what the church teaches and I guess societal norms as well. Um, so it was really only in university uh, that I met my first partner and um, I mean, she, she is lesbian, right? And, and I guess uh, this world was opened up to me of acceptance of um, uh, what a healthy relationship can be like. And um, so in that sense, I, you know, um, went into this relationship and, and opened myself up. Um, but it was difficult because, you know, how do I reconcile my faith and my sexuality? It was a, it was a struggle. Um, and it's almost like I had to close that part of myself, the Christian part of myself. Um, you know, theologically, maybe, uh, in terms of, you know, I, I drew away from the church, my, my Christian friends. Uh, I grew up uh, pretty much, you know, uh, being part of the church, right? So... Uh, Methodist church, you know, I was in the choir, taught Sunday school, uh, I was part of the girls' brigade, you know, that kind of thing. So, so very much immersed in that world. Um, but kind of had to put that behind just so that um, I could make sense of, I guess, my, my newfound identity, um, my newfound um, understanding about my sexuality. Um, it was just really hard to hold the tension between the two worlds. Um, so I did drift away from the church and my friends back then, and um, so and then after, so that was tertiary, uh, you know, university, and then after that, uh, you know, I graduated and then I worked in the arts. Um, so the arts is a, a, an environment that really uh, celebrates diversity, mm. that's more open, understanding, and um, accepting. Mm. And I think I really flourished uh, during those years, um, and gave myself a chance. You know, th this part of myself. Uh, my sexual identity, uh, a chance to flourish, to come into my own, right? Um, so I guess you can say I'm bisexual. Um, <laughs> although uh, <laughs> I have friends and my partner says, you know, it's been so long, I don't think you can claim that label anymore. Um, labels but, you know, are just labels, sex, right? Sexual orientation is, is, right. is you know, um, yep. is, yeah, I, I think it's dynamic, it's fluid. Mm -hmm. I think we all exist on a continuum. But right. anyway, let's not go there for now. Um... <laughs> So, so, you know, um, but I think um, it was really after my, my second relationship ended, uh, second same-sex relationship ended, and I was really heartbroken and um, feeling quite lost, actually. And um, so I have to caveat to say that even though, uh, you know, I kind of stayed away from the church and all of that, but I never stayed away from my relationship with God. Mm -hmm. So that continued, and that was still strong. And I never mm -hmm. felt that God rejected me or that I was not worthy. It, I, I knew very clearly that those messages came from the church uh, and from society. So I made that distinction for myself, but it made it hard for me to be in community, right, with, with other Christians uh, who are not understanding or accepting of LGBTQ Christians. So, um, but nevertheless, after the, the second relationship, just, just being in a, uh, very, in a broken place, and um, I basically cried out to God and I, I, I you know, um, reached out, right? So... Um, it, it drove me to really want to start this journey of reconciling my faith and my sexual orientation. Like, I was, wasn't just going to park that aside anymore, ignore that part, but I really need to do this for my own liberation, um, for, 
for other LGBTQ Christians as well, because, um, you know, I, I believe a lot in community building. If I can't reconcile this for myself, how can I be useful and serve others, right? So, um, and it was from this place of brokenness and search that um, I, um, well, I, I went back to church in the sense that I discovered FCC at that same time, mm -hmm. right? So this was in um, 2003. Um, and uh, I read about FCC service, and the very first service was the Atelier Art Gallery, huh. all the way back then. Mm. Uh, and I went for that service, and, and a large part was um, also because uh, Reverend, the late Dr. Uh, Reverend Yap Kim Hao, who used to be a bishop in the Methodist Church, and you know, he was uh, you know, championing, advocating for LGBTQ Christians. And, and that really moved me and touched me, especially coming from the Methodist um, denomination church as well. Uh, and I, I really, I just broke down at that service. I mean, it was, it was amazingly beautiful and painful. Mm. Um, and wow, it was just really, really emotional. But that was the first encounter, and that started my journey towards reconciling my faith and sexuality. Mm. So long story short, I got baptized uh, back at my Methodist church, actually. <laughs> um, and then uh, also started attending FCC, getting quite involved, you know, um, uh, cell group and all of that mm. and um, and then that led me to Trinity Theological College because mm -hmm. um, I think uh, realizing how much it uh, the importance of actually studying and understanding what uh, are the teachings behind some of the theological teachings about LGBTQ Christians what are church traditions how do you interpret scripture how do you I mean just look at spiritual formation and all of that so my time at uh, TTC Trinity Theological College uh, was very rich, and maybe I'll talk a bit more about that later, but nevertheless, uh, I got theological training, uh, and then, you know, ended up um, working in church uh, from 2008 uh, onwards, and um, one year before that, in 2007, did a documentary called Women Who Love Women, mm. uh, interviewing uh, two, um, three lesbians, actually, uh, and that's available online still. Uh, it's <laughs> I think quite a seminal documentary, in yes. my humble opinion. <laughs> no, it is totally. Uh, <laughs> uh, worked with uh, Lim Mei Ling, the director. Yeah. And it was just telling lesbian stories, which at that time wasn't out in the public domain. Mm -hmm. We were part of the um, queer film festival here and all of mm -hmm. that. And yeah, internationally, blah, blah, blah. So that was really exciting. Um, yeah, and then uh, eventually kind of uh, leaving full-time uh, service uh, in the church. Um, because I wanted to look at how do we bridge differences, um, and not just LGBTQ issues, but difference in society as a whole. Uh, and so started ArtsWalk um, Collaborative. Uh, it's an arts-based community development organization. So that's what I'm doing now. Thanks so much for sharing, Simon. And you know, when you were sharing, I was just like smiling to myself because there's so many points of intersection there, you know, that I could really resonate with, right? You know, coming from a Methodist background, you know, struggling with faith and sexuality. And I must say that documentary you made, I mean, I watched it even before we knew each other, you know, but it was so important because, like you said, right, there were so few voices out there documenting those stories. And for me, it meant everything. To see stories of people who are like me here in Singapore, you know, not just in any other part of the world, but I mean, that just really helped me to feel like I, maybe I'm okay, you know. So thank you for that, you know, and thank you for sharing about that. You I'm know. really glad to hear that. Yeah. yeah, thank you. And Gui, would you like to share your journey with us? Yes, um, just listening to both of you, you know, I kind of realized how different our paths have been, mm. uh, the things we're learning and also how we have come to what we believe. 
Uh, and um, I think in my case, it's similar but different in very weird ways. It's like we are in parallel universes. Um, because for me, I, I became a Christian uh, in a, when I was, was in secondary school, uh, like you in Methodist uh, secondary school as well. Um, and then um, for the longest time, I have been a Methodist right until today, right? I still consider myself one. If that means it's for like 35 years mm. journey or so already. And uh, that journey has been quite uh, interesting because I think in my teenage years, the things that I was um, taught, uh, trained, you know, learned a lot in, uh, as I was thinking of what to say, I think it must have been just these two things. One is Christology about Christ, who is the person of Christ, uh, who, um, what is, who is uh, Jesus, what does he believe, uh, believe, you know, what does he stand for in our faith, um, and, and all that about him, the person, uh, as opposed to all the other cultural trappings tied to him. Uh, and then secondly, there is, um, uh, I guess, you know, being a Christian in the 80s, uh, you cannot but be caught in this eschatology thing, you know, about the last days, you know, and that was like the, really the popular wave at the time. Uh, kind of died off in a way these days because, you know, mm. after the millennium, it wasn't very interesting anymore. But, you know, when you're a young Christian, these kind of things were like, you know, the fat and all. And I think, you know, if I were to think about the one thing that I took away from that period, it would be that, you know, at all times to be alert as a Christian, to be... Um, to, 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 to tend your own garden, to look after yourself, to be at all times answerable to God for who mm. you are and what you believe in uh, and how you have been doing, uh, living your life, right? And, and I think that's the one thing I took away, that, you know, um, all these other things, um, you know, are there, but the essential point is this. Um, but growing up in the 80s and 90s, the, uh, I must say that the LGBT issue has not really been very, I uh, guess, part of the conversation. I'm not sure whether that was your experience. It was not part Absolutely. of the experience. I, I yeah. grew up not no knowing anything about, about this. Yep. Nobody talks about it. You know, yep. and it was just all happily going along. You know, and then at some point, I guess all these uh, uh, prejudices, uh, mm. uh, ideas start to come in, uh, not necessarily via the uh, 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 doctrinal religious side. It's actually via, I guess, peer pressure, meeting, uh, mis uh, mixing around. And then the names you call each other, you know, and, um, it, you know, it may, the, the other person may well not be uh, an LGBT, but you still get labeled things like, you know, or you gay, uh, you, 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 you know, and all sorts of words la, that are tied to, tied to referring to LGBT people. Uh, and I, I get very uh, fed up when I started to become at the end of that, you know, <laughs> of, that of, that, of, of receiving that. Mm. Because um, as someone who's, uh, who, who from young has liked to, has loved to, draw and write, uh, and in the 90s, I was already, uh, you know, becoming very active in writing poetry, and also I love to do literature uh, as a subject. I pursued it all the way as something that is very much uh, my passion in, in not just uh, uh, doing, but also learning, you know, about what people are thinking, about how they're talking about, about cultural history, I guess. And then when you do this, you know, you, you always get a certain community in a Christi among Christians to say, hey, you you gay, or you are, or you, you know, you're a creative person, you mm. must be gay, you know, mm. and I, I feel like, hey, I'm not, why do you keep using, uh, saying that to me, that's one thing, and why do you use it as a bad word, mm. you, know? It, you know, and so I think today, when we talk about LGBT, there's that lingering st stigma, there's that, that lingering uh, 
negative connotations that are sure. still attached to that. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder how much sometimes when we have the discussion about LGBT, it is that informing the attitude as well, uh, and, and not just the overt uh, discussions that we have. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that was uh, very much part of something that was bothering me quite a bit in the 90s. And I think, in fact, um, the title of my first book of poems that came out in 1998 was Who Wants to Buy a Book of Poems? That, uh, <laughs> which is a quite a funny poem that talks about people misunderstanding poetry, right? Mm. But that poem also, that, that poem is the title poem of the book itself that has the same name. Uh, it ends with the twist, right? That says that, you know, people call me gay. Right, You know, when I'm not, you know, it ends with that twist uh, uh, at the end, you know, uh, to just basically saying that there's just all mm. this misunderstanding about writing mm -hmm. yeah, and creativity. And, and, and I guess for me, that has been the angle. Uh, to realize that, you know, uh, I don't think a lot of Christians have a good sense of what it means to be an LGBT person or who an LGBT person is. Uh, one of the interesting revelations, for example, as I was growing up in the 90s, is that, you know, the people who we realized who came out as gays weren't creative. <laughs> they were... <laughs> <laughs> they were people from the sciences. They were people from engineering. Uh, you know, uh, and you know, uh, yes, there are some people from the arts, but it's not limited to that. Mm. You know, and then you know, it's, it's it's not those things. I mean, that we kind of like attach. You know, and then I always sometimes get still people that hey, how come you still not come out? And I feel like, it's like <laughs> oh dear. You know, it's, 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 it's that sort of thing that I find that it's, 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 very, it's very curious how mm. uh, the Christian circles still not, in a sense, don't engage with the issues. They, they engage with all the other things about what they think a gay person is. Mm. Uh, and uh, I, I guess that has been an issue. La. I mean, and it hasn't really become that problematic uh, uh, situation that we have today, uh, that kind of very confrontational kind of thing, at least in Singapore, at least. Uh, I feel, until I guess with the Aware Saga, right? And that really came to the fore. And I remember, uh, you know, at a time when I wrote a Facebook note quite famously, infamously famously, <laughs> that tells Christians, you know, please, please don't do this, you know. Uh, mm. It's not right to do it because it's not done properly. Have, you want a discussion, you have a discussion. You don't take over another organization. Mm. And I actually had colleagues at the time. I was working in NUS at the time, and I would actually have colleagues who come knock on my door and and say, hey, what are you doing, you know? Do you not know what this is going to be about? You know, if they want this, if you give them this, they're going to go all the way. The next thing they want is like gay marriages and all that, you know, and, and it's a slippery slope and all that kind of stuff. And I, I find, you know, why, why do you make so many assumptions in my name? You know, I mean, mm. I think it's good to have a proper discussion, but to, to try to seize control, that is a different thing altogether. Uh, you know, and I think from that point onwards, I kind of realized uh, 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 what I feel uh, I have to do in my garden. <laughs> I have to how I should tend my own garden, mm. you know, uh, uh, and, and not and not to uh, follow the crowd. How to fall into the peer pressure group of uh, believing because other people insist that you should believe a certain way. Uh, and uh, I think like you also, I mean, uh, Reverend Yap King Hao has played a very interesting role. Uh, after that, he kind of came and talked to me about what I uh, believe, what I feel. And he said, you know what, you wanna, I feel you have a very interesting perspective. Why don't you come 
share your views uh, with FCC. Mm. And so that was how I discovered ah, that's you That's how you started. Yes, yes. It's via him and via Reverend Miak as well. Right. Uh, I know. Uh, and and he, he definitely felt that I was looking at this whole thing from a different angle that mm. uh, might uh, help some people see things differently. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I was just listening to your story and I'm thinking like, um, because of what you went through, you know, even though you're a straight ally, you know, but the assumptions that people make about you know, LGBTQ people, about what, what it is to be gay or not, you know, all that stereotypes and, and a lot of the misconceptions, kind of, you kind of were at the brunt of it to a certain extent because you're a poet, because you wrote, because you're creative, right? And I think that gave you maybe a little bit of um, that experience of empathy, perhaps, you know, of what's like to be kind of singled out a certain way and going like, yeah, why, yeah. why look at me like that yeah. kind of thing, right? You're right to say that that, that part uh, the the kind of, like, give, the, did give me that the empathy of sorts, mm. but at yes, uh, on the other side, I also feel a bit like David because mm. at the start we also were just not knowing what it is, right? And we came from the other side, and then slowly it it is how much you really want to know and 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 and, and confront the mm. truth of the situation, have proper discussion, and that's mm. how how you move, right? I mean, rather than stay uh, afraid and st mm. and sticking on to all the ideas that you have. Yeah, I like what you said, you know, Gui, about actually sitting down and having a conversation with somebody, you know. So if you want to understand someone who is LGBTQ, for example, uh, to actually have a conversation with them rather than to just hold on to certain whatever notions you might have, right? And maybe that would help break open, you know, many different things for all of us and, and, and to help us maybe see each other as people rather than labels in some way, I guess. At this point, I need to add that it's yes. important to be patient, you know, with people. Absolutely, because yeah. I mean, David was at that stage before. I was at that stage before. Right. And but it took time, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, if someone were to like scream at me and, and tell me, you don't understand and blah, 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 you know, and just totally shut me off, I wouldn't have, you know, so yes. there is that responsibility, I think, uh, mm. if you are a, a, a LGBT-affirming Christian, uh, that you be patient with people you're explaining to. Thank you for that. I think that's such an important uh, point, you know, and it's, it's tough. Patience is tough, right? Um, and so just as you brought up patience, you know, would you share with us a little bit, you know, any of you, you know, um, any of the experiences you might have had engaging with other Christians who might have had viewpoints with, that were different from you? Okay, and I don't know, maybe we'll start with Sulin first. Lah. <laughs> yeah, um, so the thing is, I, I tend not to engage other Christians about, mm. <clears throat> excuse me, LGBTQ issues unless an invitation is made to do so, and that when I'm comfortable to do so. And I tend to avoid the talking about the theological debates or scripture, and I rather um, encounter each other as fellow human beings first, uh, you know, getting to know the person and, and hearing our stories before mm -hmm. going, yeah. Um, so in that sense, actually, interestingly, um, most of my conversations with LGBTQ, uh, uh, with Christians, LGBTQ Christians, <laughs> uh, with diverse theological views. So again, we're not monolithic or we're not homogeneous as well. Within uh, you know, the LGBTQ Christian community, FCC being an example, we hold many theological positions within this church. And therein is the beauty of, because there's diversity, right? And actually, the, the differences sometimes are, um, even though, you know, uh, you know the scriptural interpretation, uh, looking at you know, our personal relationship with God and all of that, uh, it is still hard for LGBTQ Christians to actually accept that God loves them or that, you know, uh, they are in an affirming environment. 
and the battle is within. Mm. Uh, and so I've had many of those types of conversations with other LGBTQ Christians right. uh, rather than non-LGBTQ <laughs> Christians. I guess partly also because, as you know, I shared just now, um, I, I did draw away from my non-LGBTQ Christian friends. So in a sense, I didn't want to be drawn into those conversations. Um, so that, that's a bit of a different take, mm -hmm. right, to, mm -hmm. to your question. Yep. Um, but I guess within, so back to Trinity Theological College, um, maybe because it was an environment where we're all studying and learning, so a certain humility is required and respect. So um, I wasn't out-out uh, at TTC, but I did come out to a few of my classmates that I felt more comfortable with, that I felt were open, more importantly, to listen and to encounter me as a person looking beyond my sexual orientation. Um, so, I mean, that, that, was, um, that was heartening because they were willing, I suppose, to put aside the theological debates and, and to see the person. Um, but I have to say, it, it, it was an elephant in the room, right? Because mm -hmm. in, at the end of the day, I never formed very deep friendships with my classmates at TDC. Uh, you know, say for one uh, friend who I knew from before, so that doesn't quite count. And I do think that it is a hindrance, actually, not being able to talk about being gay or lesbian or you know trans. Mm. Or um, so it's not enough to just uh, accept the person uh, as a whole, but then ignore the LGBTQ part because it does hinder the trust building and and relationships being able to go deeper. Mm. So. Um, so I guess that was my experience while, while we can still be friends or we can kind of look past certain things but I think it, it, it becomes a barrier uh, mm. actually in the friendship and then on a, from a sort of institutional level um, I, I know I have to say the lecturers at TDC and all that um, I'm sure some of them knew because for example one of my assignment topics I did write about FCC right so, sure. so I did raise eyebrows and there were questions like why are you writing about the free community church? Because I actually wrote that, you know, I, I served there and all of that. So, mm. again, like, elephant in the room, right? Skirt around, <laughs> like, okay, fine, you know, this essay is, is about whatever, you know, uh, the church and spiritual mm. formation and all of that. But, um, so I appreciated that level of, I guess, space, but there was no deep engagement. So I think mm. it was avoidance. Uh, but where I think I got a clear sort of message from the school was um, actually the graduation yearbook. Mm. And uh, traditionally, what happens is different churches take out uh, ads in the yearbook. So that's a way of covering costs, but also for the church to kind of like right. congratulate the student and et cetera, et cetera. So FCC uh, very generously uh, wanted to take out an ad to congratulate me, mm -hmm. uh, but it got rejected by TDC. So um, yeah, so that the ad couldn't go through. So that was a clear signal to me that um, while I guess... I guess tolerance or openness goes up to a certain point, but where you actually have to be quite visible about the support. And the yearbook goes out to uh, different churches as well. Mm. It's not just within the TDC body. Then, then it becomes very clear where the lines mm. are drawn. Mm. Um, and I think back then, I, I guess I, I was okay with it to the, in the sense that I had very low expectations. So mm. actually, I did not expect it to go through. If anything, it would have been a miracle if it did. Right. Um, and, but I think I blocked it off. I, I mm -hmm. think uh, when I look back, um, and I if I had to really connect with that, uh, I was hurt. Uh, mm. I was hurt. And uh, it was yet another example of rejection. Mm. Um, but at the time, I, I brushed it off and, and kind of moved on. So, yeah. so I guess 
sometimes the conversations are non-conversations, mm -hmm. like it's the engagement that should have happened but never did. So mm -hmm. those sorts of invisible conversations. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and thanks for bringing that up because I remember when we were chatting about this incident, um, and you, you were telling me about it in a very calm, kind of ob almost objective way, right? And then as we were delving deeper, I still remember how you, you just came to the realisation that, you know what, I've actually been rationalising this away. Yeah. You know, so that, you know, like what you say, right, blocking it yeah. off, packing it aside, so that you can just move on and function, right, you know, in our society, in the world. And I wonder how many of us, especially in the LGBTQ community, do that. Yeah. You know, we might have been hurt, you know, by the avoidance, the elephant in the room, people saying, okay, let's not go there, don't ask, don't tell, uh, skirt around, uh, or, you know, in a very blatant way, rejecting, you know, like the advertisement, right, the congratulatory message from FCC, and, and how that actually leaves lingering pieces of hurt within many people right, without us talking about that. I just want to add on, Pauline, because I think it's particularly difficult for Christians as well, mm. because... I mean, we are taught to be loving, we're taught to like, right. you know, build community, um, don't cause, uh, you know, fissures or friction. Uh, and I didn't want, I guess, you know, that to happen in terms of the TDC community and my classmates. I didn't want to, you know, it was a, a celebratory event. Mm. But I think that's very real because it's also the way we engage here, right, in Singapore. We, we don't, we're discouraged to be troublemakers, inverted commas, or to challenge or question. Uh, and, and all the more so as Christians, you're supposed to be, you know, harmony-seeking or loving or whatever. I mean, that's the kind of theology that is, I guess, uh, encouraged here, right? Uh, but that's not all Christian theology. There's a whole range. So just to acknowledge that, that, that mm. that's why sometimes it's particularly difficult, I think, for LGBTQ Christians right. to be the ones to um, raise the difficult questions, to yep. be the one. Because we already feel quite disempowered and actually mm. scared. Mm. Um, because it, it is a threat to, to our personal existence and we want Absolutely. so much to be accepted. Mm. So to go up against an institution or, or something like that, uh, mm. it's difficult. But I think we do violence to ourselves when we also keep silence. So we do, yeah. it's, a, it's a difficult place to be. La. It yeah. is. And thank you for just you know, naming that you know, for us. You know. And I think that's where actually Christian allies play such a huge role. You know, I still like remember when David was talking, and I want to go to David now, and I want to ask about your experiences, right, engaging with other Christians, you know, especially who have different viewpoints than you, and, and how has that been for you? Um, well, it comes up for me quite a bit, because mm. um, like when you meet someone for the first time and they find out you're a Christian, the usual small talk thing is, where do you go to church? And then I have to think, oh, am I going to say... FCC, and if they know what that is, then this small talk is now going to be a long debate. Um, so it does come up, and I think the first few times it happened, I wasn't prepared, but over time, I'm now much more ready to explain, you know, and be ready to answer their questions. So I think at this point, I've, I'm, um, I actually don't mind uh, engaging with uh, people who want to challenge my views or ask questions why I go there. And I've encountered a range of responses. I mean, some people are dismissive, you know, they're, they are homophobic and they say hurtful things. But then there are others who at least are willing to talk, um, are open-minded enough to listen. Well, in the end, we may not agree. In fact, I don't think I've actually changed anyone's mind. Um, but I do understand it's a long process. It took me years to change my own mind. So like Gui said, I think I, uh, I owe it to them to be patient with them. Um, and I think fundamentally, where I found I do have common ground with other Christians 
is that um, most of them genuinely desire to love. Um, and maybe to them, to love their LGBT uh, siblings is to actually try to convert them or to um, encourage them to be celibate or things like that. And there I can maybe dispel some misconceptions and say, you know, you got to realize that this is not something that you can change from. Uh, in fact, it can be very harmful when you try to, to convert someone to being straight. Um, and so maybe I can help them to love better. Because <laughs> I think mm -hmm. they, they do desire to love, but um, their way of loving has not always been helpful. Mm. Yeah, and uh, Gui, did you want to uh, share oh, a little I, bit I, about I, your I entirely thoughts. agree with that. Um, yep. Actually, to, to uh, supplement something that Sulin said earlier, I mean, it's very ironic that you know, we as people of love, Christians, we are actually quite bad in knowing how to love. Mm. You know, we, we love in a way that we uh, assume it is either very easy or it is about just, you know, doing a, 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 a very uh, emotional, uh, feel-good thing, right? Uh, actually, love is a struggle. If you read the Gospels and all, it is a struggle and there's always a price. And God's love is always to meet people at a point when they're struggling, you know, uh, and that's where he shows his love. Uh, you know, when you're helping someone uh, to, uh, uh, um, um, to overcome his or her hurt, right? Um, so, I mean, the conversations I have uh, are not many. Uh, I really am quite, uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> I don't really like much conversations these days. Mm. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that's a good thing or not. Maybe <laughs> it's something I have to overcome. But uh, I've become, uh, you know, uh, less willing to talk about this because I guess... Uh, there has been a lot of, uh, you know, uh, moments that tend towards uh, argument and all. And mm. I, I increasingly don't like that because I think we miss the point, uh, you know. And, and so I, I like to go to the parts where we can really agree, uh, uh, um, um, you know, on, and as, as a basic thing to say who is a Christian. And then we start to work from there. And I think Christians, with Christians, we ought to have conversations Right? And we have to learn to break down barriers rather than build them. Mm. Uh, I, I'm not sure whether you remember when the first time I came to speak at FCC, my first words were, were that, you are my brothers and sisters. Mm. Yes. You know, and every time I come at this for a while, I keep ha feel I need to say this to you, you are my brothers and sisters. Mm. Right? I'm, I'm, you're, you're not my enemies. Mm. Right? Uh, and then I think sometimes when we use the word allies and all, it can be helpful, but it can also not be helpful. Because when we use that word, it suggests that there is an enemy. There's something we need uh, to fight against. Right. Uh, which is true, but that is not a person. That is an idea that I guess you are fighting mm. against. I think there's a difference between, uh, I guess, Christian LGBT, uh, uh, LGBT Christians and, uh, and I, I guess, other LGBT supporters. Is that um, it, 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 it is that I don't think we try to lock the wrong in the person, right? Um, the, the other person is someone who is also as much uh, in need of God's uh, love as we do, right? And uh, it, it's, it's not to be there in a very superior position, but to understand that we, we need each other to complete the relationship of love that God wants from us. Uh, so I guess in a Christian relationship, as I always think about it, of, of love between two, there is a party that is hurt and there is a party who is capable of lifting that other from hurt, right? And that call that God demands from either group is different, you know? I think from the person for, who, for, for whom something can be done, 
uh, God does require us to be humble. Uh, he does need us to, uh, I guess, repent of certain uh, stubbornness that we have, you know, our willingness not to stoop, uh, not to listen, you know, and that. And the other side, I guess, uh, there's a need to forgive for whatever hurt that's been done to us. Mm. Uh, and, and that's the two lessons. We have to do, I mean, we have to know where we are and then to do the right thing, whether to repent and seek God's way or to uh, ask for mercy, ask for forgiveness. And in that sense, I don't think it's, it's the same. You know, I mean, the, the interesting thing about being Christians is that we always think we know the lesson God wants us to learn. <laughs> Actually, sometimes it's the humility is to recognize it's the opposite sometimes of the lesson <laughs> that we right. think we should be learning. Mm. Right? We think that we should be telling the other person. But God said, no, no, I'm talking to you. <laughs> I'm talking to you. <laughs> you are the one I'm talking to, not the other person. Right. right? And mm. if you read the Gospels, it's always the, the issue is always with people who think that they, their job God has given them is to tell other people how to behave, <laughs> right? Right. Whereas the people who God praises or God go, uh, Jesus goes to are the people who say, "No, help me, help me." Right. I mean, uh, uh, help my unbelief. Right. Mm. I believe, but please mm. help me to believe more. Mm. That kind of plea, that the helplessness before God, those right. are the people who God wants to lift up, right? Uh, and so you know to recognize that lah, that there's these two sides mm. in the call to love. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, Sorry, and, I end up pitching. <laughs> That's your natural you know, gift, right? <laughs> so let me ask you, right? What do you say to Christians who say, okay, we know sexual orientation cannot be changed, but one can overcome their inclinations and stay celibate because that is the holy way. So what, how would you respond to that? Um, David? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so to, to a gay Christian who firmly believes, based on their convictions, that they need to be celibate, to them I would say, I support you and I fully respect your decision. You know, there's no argument from me. Each of us follow their conviction. However, I would say this doesn't mean that it has to apply to every gay Christian, and especially to straight people who would impose the sentence of celibacy on all gay Christians, then to me I feel that's really unfair. Um, I've been married 17 years. I think I can speak from experience. Marriage is one of the greatest blessings that you can have in this life. And we're all human and we all desire intimacy and companionship. And gay people are no different in that regard. So, I mean, celibacy is something that you have to be called to. I think even the Bible, it says, you know, Paul says, some are called to it, but it is a hard thing. Mm -hmm. So it's not right to impose it on an entire class or group of people. Um, and I think it stems from the idea that, well, it being um, in a same-sex relationship is sinful, and as Christians, we need to do everything we can to avoid sin. So then I would say, okay, let's, let's really address that, okay? Sin, in its very nature, is destructive. It's harmful. It takes away life, right? Now, I've seen a lot of gay couples, and I can say from experience that their relationships are just as life-giving as my marriage is, and so it doesn't, it's not something that that needs to be... Uh, being gay isn't something you need to repent from or change. You know, mm. It's something innate to the person. Um, so I would say, okay, we know sin by its fruit. Okay? And this doesn't have the fruit. Right? So at, at least we have to question our theology. You know, have we interpreted the Bible correctly in saying that uh, same-sex relationship is sinful 
given that the Bible was written in a greatly different cultural context than today. And I can go more into that, but I, I won't at this point. <laughs> yes, I know. I've seen your notes and they were fantastic, right? And maybe we'll have another occasion to go into that. Selene, did you have anything to add to this question? Um, well, just to say that, um, I mean, why, yeah, why is celibacy prized over sexual relating, right? So I think the church traditionally has a very narrow view of sex and understanding of uh, sexual relationships. Mm. And actually, the, the understanding of the role of sex has changed over time from early Judaism through the church, through the centuries, right? So from an early understanding of sex for procreation, it has shifted to understanding it as a union, a celebration of uh, intimacy, relationship. It's been akin to our relationship with God as well, this divine right. communion. So I think the whole understanding of sex has evolved as well. So why stop two people who are in a mutual consenting relationship from experiencing that same communion with God uh, or each other and uh, building intimacy? Mm. So the arguments don't stand, right? It, I mean, David, what David said is true because it goes back to this whole idea of uh, you know, being gay is a sin. So actually, that, that is mm. the issue. Uh, so not to, con to confuse it. Uh, and it reminds me actually, uh, and it's the 10th anniversary. It is of, the 10th anniversary. Of, uh, so back in 2011, uh, a few of us preached about uh, sexual ethics actually mm. for this church. Um, and it was a three part series, it's available on the FCC website. And it was right. seminal because uh, we went through a whole period of studying uh, and coming up with our own sexual uh, ethics framework principles that would inform. Uh, the way we relate in this church and our relationship. So we took it really, really seriously and did a lot of studying and uh, focus groups and just listening uh, to what the Spirit was saying through us mm. as well, through our experiences. Um, so have a look because, um, uh, yeah, yeah, a good uh, sermon series. <laughs> I tend to be tooting my horn today. Very bad, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you were the one who started the sermon series, I, I right? You did the first one, right? Um, <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, and, and uh, it's on the, the sexual ethics framework on our website That's as right. well. Yeah. That's right, and you can find it there, all right, in our website. Um, Gui, did you have anything to add to what um, the both of no, them no, said? No, not really. I, yeah? I do agree. I agree yeah? with both your points. Yeah, great. So, what challenges have you faced uh, conversing with Christians about LGBTQ issues? And what have been your learning points, your takeaways from those conversations and interactions, perhaps? Yeah. Um, anyone can start. <laughs> Take away from the conversations. Uh, mm. I think uh, one one would be, I guess, uh, learning to see together uh, how to read the Bible. Um, why why that is important and is a lifelong lesson, you know, which is why I think when you keep going to the Bible at different stages of your life, uh, you realize that uh, you're learning, your, the Bible meets you at the experiences that you have gone through uh, and try to make sense of that and the perspectives that you have gained. Uh, so, you earlier were talking about how things have changed, right, how history of humankind has changed and therefore certain meanings that we understand have changed. But I think even on a personal level, that is true. The things that you read in the Bible, they still stay the same. The Word of God doesn't change, right? But your understanding of what it means actually changed, <laughs> strangely. Mm -hmm. Because as you grow older, you realize that, you know, hey, you know, that's, that's really what it meant, mm -hmm. right? All the mm -hmm. time when I was young and I thought, 
uh, uh, you know, when First Corinthians 13 tells me that faith, hope, love, mm. and the greatest is love. What's that mean, right? And when you're young, you're thinking, you know, uh, it could just mean that love is the most important. But, and when I grow older, I mean, especially now, just this afternoon, I was thinking of that. And I realized, you know, we can debate about what we believe in the faith part. We can debate about justice, what kind of better world we want to see, the hope part. But ultimately, you have to achieve that through love, mm. right? It's love that makes it all meaningful and worthwhile. Without that, you know, you can believe in the best doctrine. Uh, you can imagine the most perfect world, the most just world, right? The, the world of the justice warriors. But ultimately, it is love mm. that will make everything complete. Uh, we have to be, I think, uh, I guess, mercy warriors. <laughs> it has a, a way of, of returning the whole thing. Mm. Uh, uh, right? How because true. Uh, is, wasn't yeah. it in James that you were told that uh, 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 mercy triumphs mm -hmm. judgment, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we have to make that Christian difference. Uh, how even in our want to make the world a better place, there has to be a Christian angle that we hold on to. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that is that, right? First, love, and through that, either in mercy or, you know, uh, uh, through that, to achieve uh, uh, um, that wholeness that Christ intends for us to be able to love one another and through it uh, uh, get mm. there. I yeah. wanted to ask you, what does a mercy warrior costume look like? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Lee. Yeah, Green might be able to draw it for you. He's an artist. <laughs> Maybe after this, we'll get him to draw it. Superhero thing. So what is a... Okay, uh. I, I know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying that uh, in, in my thought, I think right now, while it is good to push for justice, mm. you know, but we as also must, as I said, bring that Christian difference, which is right. that we have to be merciful as well. Right. You know, we can't just condemn people because then we are as bad as the people who condemn, condemn mm -hmm. us. Right? Mm -hmm. That's absolutely true. Yeah, and so any other learnings or takeaways for the um, both of you, David and Okay, Susan? Maybe, maybe I can go. Um, a few challenges I've faced when speaking to other Christians is mm. there's usually a few objections that will come up quite commonly. Mm. The first one is the Bible. Okay, so they'll say, the Bible clearly says. Okay. Then, okay, then usually what I'll try to do is say, first of all, um, I mean, who said that it's, who's interpreting it? Right? Is it your pastor, your church? I mean, any church that claims to be the final arbiter of truth is probably engaging in some hubris because the church is a wide and a large group that spans time and place. And, and um, theology has, you know, is quite diverse actually when you look at it. Although maybe in Singapore it's not so diverse. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the global theology and over time, yeah, there have been many different kinds of thoughts and the church has not always got it right. Mm. right? So I usually try to tell them, Let's look at some examples over history, like where the church has gotten it wrong. Um, for example, creation, uh, slavery, mm -hmm. baptism, the ordination of women, remarriage after divorce. Right? These are things which the church said, the Bible clearly says, mm. Jesus said, you cannot get remarried after divorce except in one circumstance. Now he's realized, okay, that he's speaking in terms of the principle of it, but we need to be nuanced in our application of it. So in the same way, I, I would tell them, let's try to have an open mind that, that we might be on the wrong side of history. 
in our teaching currently. And 50 years from now, we may look back and say, oh, my goodness, we got it wrong. Hmm. So at least to plant that um, thought in their head uh, and to think so that they'll think a bit more um, widely. Then I'll also tell them, okay, the Bible is contextual. Right? The, 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 it's a product of what the writers understood and did not understand about gender and sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. So, like, for example, homosexual behavior in the Old Testament or in, the, in Paul's time was seen as an excess of lust in heterosexual men. Right? And pederasty was a common practice among the, the Greeks and so on. So their understanding of homosexuality is very different from a same-sex relationship today. And then can we therefore say, well, it condemns that. Therefore, it condemns the things we know, which are bearing good fruit in our experience. Right? So we can say that one can love and respect the Bible without interpreting it literally. Mm -hmm. right? like, for example, in the Bible it says, if you break the Sabbath, you shall be put to death. Okay, how many of us worked on a Sunday, <laughs> especially in Singapore, right? Mm -hmm. We should all be put to death. No, we, again, it's about the principle and the spirit behind the law, not about following it literally. Mm -hmm. So affirming LGBT relationships doesn't mean you have to throw away the Bible. I think that's a fear of a lot of Christians. They say, oh, you are, you are people who affirm LGBT, you have watered down scripture, you have twisted scripture, to say whatever you like. Mm. And what I'll try to tell them is, no, I haven't gone to FCC. I know we are genuinely trying to follow God just as much as you. Right? We've just come to a different interpretation of the same Bible that we follow. Um, and there's a thing called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Mm -hmm. Okay, getting a bit um, technical here. <laughs> but it says that we can interpret Scripture through four lenses, right? Reason, experience, tradition, and Scripture. That's how we, I guess, develop our theology. So, okay, Scripture says one thing, but we also look at experience and reason and so on, and we can then use these to inform one another. And so, um, yeah, that's usually where I would come at it from. Um, another thing I found Christians is that they feel defensive mm -hmm. because they feel like, oh, these uh, LGBT uh, advocates and um, activists mm -hmm. are going to come and destroy the church. <laughs> and they feel like they have to be on the defensive against... Right. LGBT advocates. Mm. And so usually I try to tell them, first of all, you've got to remember, it's not like the two sides are equal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> On one side, right, you have a group who feels persecuted, but they haven't actually experienced any persecution <laughs> yet, right? They just fear the, that there could be persecution. Mm. On the other side, you have a group who has historically been oppressed and by the government, by society, and they're in real risk of violence loss of employment, family rejection. This is real for them. Right? Mm -hmm. So we're not saying, oh, both sides should just chill out. No, actually, it's not equal. <laughs> On one side, you have a people who have actually have no problem, mm. and they only fear a problem. Mm. And actually, probably the fear is unfounded, quite mm -hmm. honestly. Mm -hmm. um, so I usually try to tell them certain things like that to just help them see from a different angle. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that, David, because you know, it reminds me about how Often when we are engaging as LGBTQ people ourselves, uh, it's actually not, we're playing on a very uneven kind of playing field, right? Because we are bringing our whole lives, our hearts, you know, bare, open, right, to this whole dialogue, this conversation. It's not just a belief, uh, it's not just a conviction for us, you know, it is so many other parts of ourselves, right? And, and so it's an, an uneven playing field, right? And so I wanted to, you know, ask Sulin, right, you know, I mean, what challenges do you feel, especially as an LGBTQ um, person, 
you know, coming into such, you know, conversations and, you know, and what have been your takeaways? I think it's um, really important to create safe space for oneself. So never mm. feel like you have to be sucked into a conversation that you don't want to have, right. that you're not prepared to have. In fact, it's a very conscious act and very intentional uh, if and when you want to come out, if and when you want to engage around scripture or share your life story. So is the other person you know, worthy enough to hear your life story mm -hmm. in order for you to be vulnerable? So mm -hmm. I would say it takes planning actually. And um, you can always say no to a conversation that you're not prepared to have. So I think um, our own intentions about wanting to have a conversation with whom and when and how and where, all these things matter and need to be thought through. Uh, and, you know, if another person is coming at, our, uh, at us to have this conversation and all these conditions are not met mm -hmm. uh, in our favour, we can always say, sorry, I'm not going to have this conversation with you. And especially not when they're not interested in you as a person, but they just want to have a debate with you or they want to rile you. Or, so I think it, it takes um, a lot of consciousness, actually. Mm -hmm. So that, that's one thing I would say. So in that sense, uh, make sure you have control over the situation, right. over yourself also, actually, because mm -hmm. maybe you're not a good space to have this conversation mm -hmm. and you can do inflict harm on yourself if you're not ready. Yeah. Um, and um, I mean, there are a lot of books and literature written about this, right? So choose, choose the you know, right place, you know, uh, to have that conversation. So the place matters too. Uh, you know, make sure you're prepared, think through what you want to say. Um, but I think also think about, you know, uh, why the intentions, why do you mm -hmm. want to engage this person or why do you think this person is engaging you? Um, so so I, I think, you know, uh, a lot of the challenges can be reduced if uh, this kind of thinking and planning goes into it. And recognizing that uh, timing is important. Mm. So you might be really wanting to have this conversation with someone, but if the timing is wrong, then be patient. I think, you know, you talked about being patient just now as well. Um, so these things matter mm. because if a conversation goes really wrong, actually the hurt, the stigma, the, you know, um, the, you can feel defeated and these things stick and then, you know, you become less resilient to kind of, you know, approach the conversation again with someone else. Mm. So, so patience, I would say. And um, I, I think it's important also to recognize that, uh, I mean, like a, a space like FCC is so important because one needs to be in an environment where you feel comfortable and safe and affirmed to actually do that kind of deep studying mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of the issues, uh, to be listened to deeply, for your stories to be honoured. All, all this is part of um, accepting yourself and uh, understanding what your identity means uh, and understanding uh, a, a more holistic understanding of Christianity as well. And all that's important in order for you to have the conversation as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it does take a certain period of, I guess, um, um, strengthening Right. One's spiritual life, one's right. understanding. And, uh, you know, in a way I see, you know, being in church and having these conversations as rehearsals. They're rehearsals for you to actually then go out and converse with other people about it. Uh, you know, it becomes opportunities for you to, to learn from one another, learn strategies, learn how to, what kind of vocabularies do you use? Uh, you know, if, you're, if, you, if you feel you failed, you know, to be supported, to be, you know. So I think... I think uh, uh, um, it's really important, I think, to be in an environment where you can thrive 
Mm. Um, and I, I would encourage LGBTQ Christians who are struggling that it is very hard to struggle in a church that does not accept you. Right. Uh, you know, even though they may say, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin, but it's still damaging. It's still a violence because at the fundamental level, they are rejecting your very personhood something that you did not choose, that you were born with, and we're all wonderfully and beautifully made mm -hmm. in God's image. And what does it mean to keep going back to the environment where at the heart of it, they reject you? So you, you will never then learn or, or be strengthened enough, I think, to have uh, these conversations. Um, well, maybe you can, but it takes a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So um, just to say, I think, to take time out to liberate yourself. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Those are really wise words, Sunin. And I wonder if any of you have any happy stories to share. I mean, occasions when perhaps the responses or the conversations you had were positive or encouraging. Anything? Oh, Anyone I, can I think, share? I think yep. it's, it's not so much messages or responses, I guess, yeah. but uh, more encounters. Uh, yeah. Always I feel very... I, I, I love to see the, the look of relief when someone realises that you know, he or she can come, up, come, mm. come out to me, you know, uh, um, and it has happened a few times, especially people wow. I grew up with, mm. you know, and they feel like they can't tell their parents, they can't tell their friends, but they could come and tell me. And I, I really do feel honoured as, a, as, a, as someone, you know, who they feel, uh, uh, I don't know what it is that gives them the, 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 the mm. belief that, you know, that I'm the one they can trust, uh, you know, with whatever they say, but uh, I, I really do feel honoured when that happens. And there was one time when you know someone I've served before in uh, certain Christian community uh, uh, committees and all and and he came up to me one day after not not meet for a long time and just said you know uh, you know you know all this time I am uh, and he didn't really complete it and I said I know <laughs> <laughs> and, and, he, and, and I said I hope you don't I don't don't think that you know uh, I consider you my brother right because uh, mm. I didn't know Mm. Right, I knew all this time, and mm. I think the the idea that all this time when he thought that I held on to him as a brother because I thought he was straight mm. uh, was actually irrelevant. That idea entirely was not. I mean, you can see the sheer uh, exuberance, the sheer happiness that comes sure, out of him yeah. uh, that moment, and he realized that you accept him for him who he is, mm. and also that the that um, being a brother meant so much more than just that. Mm. I, I, it kind of reminds me of like, in, was it in Galatians, where they said that, you know, uh, whether you are, we're all in the body of Christ, whether you are Jew or Greek, uh, male or female, slave or free, you know, I think we are at a stage where we should see this as an invitation to stretch the divide, you know, mm. even whether straight or gay or mm. LGBT, you know, mm. you are still in the body of Christ, you know, we should right. be able to transcend that. I think the whole issue is to see things from the perspective of eternity. Mm. Uh, we tend always to see things from the perspective of the present. And the present is not the same at different points in history as we talked about. Right. That changed. From the perspective of eternity, a lot of this don't matter, really. Mm. Yeah. You mean bridge the divide, right? Not yeah. stretch the divide, right? Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> bridge the divide, yeah, sorry. Thank you, Sunan, for uh, just checking, just checking. Yeah, just confirming that a little bit, oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 you know, bridging the divide and, uh, the divide. wow, it's just amazing how you were that safe space, you know, for people who needed that, right? Yeah. We never talked about it to anyone else, you know, and that's, that's amazing. That, that's the two thing, right? I mean, yeah. the, 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 I guess for me, when I grew up, it was beneath that divide. 
Yes. Right? Even we don't talk about it. You yeah. know, just pretend. Yeah. Just, right. you know, and then at some point, we confront that, but we have to move beyond that. The whole point about being a Christian is to transcend that, to say that, you know, this body ultimately is going to go. Mm. What remains is the eternal What truly yeah. matters. Right? Mm, what truly matters. Mm. Thank you for that. Any stories? Um, yeah, I could share a story. Mm. So the, at the workplace I, I'm at, um, there's a lot of Christians there, including a lot of our management, um, and we often would meet for fellowship. So one time, I guess they asked us to go around and share something, and it, I, I realized I had to tell them I went to FCC. Um. Uh, and, I, and part of me at that moment felt a little scared because I was like, oh, once they know what I stand for, I could be, actually be rejected. And this was a little taste of what it feels like for a gay person to come out. Right. And I, mean, I was getting to experience that in mm. some way. Um, but I just went out and said it. Uh, and then, okay, they just kind of, you know, nothing happened. Uh, but then several weeks later, one of, uh, somebody actually came to me and said that there was a person in their cell group who, which they led mm. who was gay. And they wanted my advice on how to, how to help them. Wow. And I thought, wow, that was... That was really good that I put myself out there so that I could become a resource and at least give them some guidance on mm. what not to say. Yep. <laughs> like, please don't say love the sinner, hate the sin. <laughs> please don't say you're you know, homosexual, things like that. <laughs> um, things that would hurt them. So I tried to, uh, you know, I think it was good. That was a happy story. Mm. Um, another person I spoke to had a long conversation. Um, she's an old family friend. She actually ended up coming to FCC to visit. Mm. Um, and she came on the worst possible day because it was the day that FCC was celebrating International Day against transphobia and homophobia, <laughs> and we actually had some outside speakers who were um, quite out there. <laughs> Let's just say it that way. So it wasn't a normal service, and I was really worried, oh, no, she's going to go away thinking that our church is full of heretics and mm. we're nuts, right? But surprisingly, she went away saying, wow, I didn't realize that people here genuinely are worshiping God. Mm. And I think she went away with a much more positive view, uh, contrary to what I expected <laughs> was going to happen. So uh, that, was, that was a good thing, I think, that she was actually even willing to come and see for herself, right. uh, even though being against it in theology. Yeah. Um, and then the last happy story was during the Ready for Repeal campaign, um, I had a chance to join some volunteers to go meet the you know, go to a meet the people session with um, various ministers right. in our district. And yeah, we did meet with some not so positive reactions. But one minister we spoke to was actually very encouraging, although, of course, uh, he said, you know, there's a certain party policy that he's not able to do anything about that. But he, he, was, he just thanked us for coming to speak to him and said we should keep, keep on doing that and not give up. And mm. so it was nice to know that there was that at least um, level of support. Mm. Yeah. Those are lovely stories. Thank you, David. And Sulin, did you have any? Um, well, I think because of time as well, right? Sure. So I, I won't go into you know, specific examples, sure. but just to say that every Sunday service is a happy story. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, not just because we're a gay church, but um, uh, a LGBTQ affirming church. But, but no, I, I think um, if, if, you, if you come and you really witness... Um, the kind of transformation that happens mm. uh, for those of us who are in an affirming environment and, uh, you know, the journey to self-acceptance and mm. celebration and where, you know, our spiritual lives are strengthened, relationship, this community. It's a happy story yep. uh, played out over and over again. Um, mm. 
And um, I, I know a lot of, uh, if I can use the word allies or brothers and sisters who come who are straight, uh, they are always blown away by mm. the level of uh, vulnerability, intimacy, and just honesty, and just that that raw beauty uh, of encountering the divine, which some, they say sometimes they don't see in their own churches. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that, that's the happy story. And, and I think most Christians, going back to David's story, at any of the day, uh, can look past uh, theological debates and, and, and unreconcilable arguments and all of that, and really see and understand very intimately what it means to be connected with God and to mm. be Christian. Mm. And I think that's the level we need to connect and engage right. uh, and not be afraid of. Um, yeah, and to be open. Yeah, yeah that's beautiful. Thank you, Sulin. So I'm going to round up this segment, right, with just two very short questions and then we'll move into Q&A because I'm sure there are lots of yeah. questions for all of you. So one is, any tips or advice? Okay, point form, right? And let's start with that first. Um, David, go. Sure. Okay, point form. Um, first of all, as someone who was formerly non-affirming, I always try to remember it took years for me to come change my mind, so I need to be patient um, and not now become self-righteous or superior or think that it's just up to me to change someone's mind because it takes a long time, many people, many experiences. Um, one thing is I've learned if, if, you, if you disagree, it's good to say so because silence communicates agreement. Um, this is something I'm definitely guilty of. Like at work, if someone says something homophobic, it's much easier to be quiet. So mm. I think that does take some courage mm. to just say, well, you know, I don't really agree with that. Um, and then, of course, lastly, whenever we're engaging with Christians who don't agree, the goal is to increase understanding. Right? It's not to start an argument or to foster hostility, but disagreement can be civil, respectful, and we can share views without accusing or criticizing. So mm. the goal is just to nudge someone a little bit further along in their journey towards acceptance. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Sulin? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just, uh, I won't reiterate what I said just now mm. about, you know, consciousness, intentionality, choosing time, place, blah, blah, blah. So all that mm. are very practical tips and advice. Be prepared, lah, basically. But I will also add not to forget to listen to the other person, uh, to be willing to be open to the other person as well. It's, it's a two-way street. Um, so to have that humility as well and not to forget that as much as you want them to see you as a person, that you see them uh, as a person as well. Um, and then also to understand that they come with certain anxieties and fears to this conversation. So if you can understand what they are about, maybe they are afraid of losing their relationship with you. They're afraid that uh, maybe you know, things will change. Uh, you know, between the both of you, or maybe it is threatening to their own uh, spiritual relationship. So, I mean, knowing where the other person is and their fears and anxieties and being able to bridge that during the conversation uh, is really important as well. Uh. And the last thing I will say is um, it's easier to in- engage individuals than institutions. So look for, for you know, uh, church leaders, pastors, you know, other friends within the church who are already open can be affirming or are already affirming and, and start there, right? Because they do exist. Uh, in fact, I think there are quite a few scattered all over in different churches. And um, so, so look, look for those uh, people. Yeah. Okay, great. Thanks. Gui? Um, wow. <laughs> those, those are very great practical <laughs> tips. Uh, for me, I think just uh, very simply uh, to reiterate something that uh, David has said actually right at the start. Uh, just that that point he made about uh, um, uh, recognize that the other person 
another person, another Christian you're talking to, uh, usually are coming from a position of love. You know, I mean, he, may, he or she may not be expressing it correctly or, or, or put it up to you in a way that feels like hurt. But, you know, it, he, has, he or she has good intentions. So I guess if we can find a way to help each other see what is going on, uh, you know, uh, I think that would actually help make the Christian difference, mm. uh, which I want to come back to because I think uh, conversations between Christians have to be something quite different from if it were not between Christians, you know. I mean, not to say one is better than the other, but there should be certain recognition that we do both understand something, mm. right, that is special to us. Mm. Uh, and, and why don't we tap to that as a way to begin the conversation? Mm. Uh, and I think the second, the second point is uh, 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 really to recognize that um, we are all on a journey of faith, right? Uh, we all grow at different points. And we learn different lessons at different points, uh, you know. And God takes us on each on our personal uh, on a different journey, and we don't know where that goes. So I guess you know, with that in mind, again from the perspective of eternity, with that in mind, uh, uh, patience, mm. uh, you know, and and be merciful, uh, you know, try to withhold judgment, uh, let God do His work. Right? It's not you. It's not you ultimately. It's mm. God who will do the journey, and then He will finish off nicely for all of us. Amen, indeed. So, if you could just say in one sentence, right, if you had an opportunity to speak to the institutional church, right, Big C Church, about the LGBTQ community, what would you say? One sentence. So, I would say, um, please come and engage us. Um, um, it, you know, I think it's high time, right, uh, mm. that, that the church is more open um, it's a journey, right? And I think we have been very patient. I think FCC has been very patient. It's about asking for a seat at the table, right? Uh, come and engage, come and dialogue, uh, come and understand and know, and, and can we do theology together, right? Mm. It, it's not uh, either or, or, or this side, that side, but as a, a Christian family, can we sit at the same table and engage? And it's been really hard for FCC to have a seat at that table. Mm. Uh, you know, invitations to engage have been rejected, so and so forth. So, so why is there so much fear? Mm -hmm. uh, and these are, are real lives that are, are being um, destroyed. I mean, you hear of suicide, you hear of depression, um, you know, LGBTQ Christians just living half lives. And this shouldn't be the way it is. Uh, especially not, uh, you know, uh, in Christ, and we were meant to be loving. So recognize that violence is being done on a daily basis, and the church needs to take responsibility for that. Mm. Uh, Christian apologetics, David, you talked about that just now. So uh, uh, let us do theology together, and let us uh, engage. And going back to the Wesleyan quadrilateral, I mean, uh, you know, there is the reason and the experience side of the house, and, and you know, there's the scriptural and the tradition, but the reason and the experience, you have to engage us, uh, especially the experience part, in order right. to get the full picture, okay. in order to do theology. Otherwise, it is incomplete. That's right. um, so, so we're here. So please <laughs> come and engage. Thank you, Selin. Uh, Gui? Uh, I think you said it all. <laughs> Selin, <laughs> the, I think just one thing spoken to Spoken for them. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the one thing to add is that it's okay to still disagree, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, it's Absolutely, not to say that sitting yes. at the table means that you have to agree on everything. That's Since right. when has the church 
agrees on everything. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's just very, very odd that, you know, you do see right. uh, uh, the Christian communities here able to engage equally with secular organizations, mm. even other faith communities, and yet they cannot engage a Christian community that is their own brothers and sisters. And mm. I find that all very, very odd, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, let's, let's get that straightened out. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. David? So my sentence would be this. Uh, well, a few sentences, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we, we believe God invites everyone to know God's love through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And God calls us to display that love to everyone. But when it comes to how the church treats our LGBT brothers and sisters, the church is more known for hate, fear, and suspicion than love. So let's make that right. Thank you, and amen to that, okay? And so now, I'm going to just share a couple of very, very good questions with all of you, and you know, any of you can jump in. So the first question is, how would you respond if you're part of a group chat with other Christians, and one of them circulates a petition to uphold 377A? All right, and some of us have had experiences with that, and yeah, so how would you respond if you're part of a group chat like this? So yes, I, I am part of that group chat because I'm in a group chat with my TTC classmates ah. and often these <laughs> polls and arguments get circulated. Right. Um, to be honest, I don't like to engage uh, mm. WhatsApp. Hold it higher. Oh, ah, yes. yes, it works. <laughs> um, I don't think engaging over WhatsApp, Facebook and all that is necessarily the way to go for me. Right. That's not the way I, I want to engage. So. If I felt it was important enough, if these people were open enough, then I would ask for a meeting or a conversation. Mm. Um, so, so that would be my, my, my short sure. answer. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. David? I think for me, I would probably respond and say, I personally um, do not support 377A. And maybe I'll give a few reasons why. And mm. then it say, if anyone would like to talk to me more about it, please come and talk to me one-on-one. -on -one. Mm. Uh, and then at least I put myself out there as someone who's, um, who wants to repeal it. Because there might be others in the group who say, oh, I haven't thought of that before. Why would you even think that? And right. then this would give them a chance to open up their minds. Um, but I, wouldn't, I, I don't want to come right out and say to that person, oh, you are, you know, you are doing... You know, maybe it's not to confront on a group in a WhatsApp, because the internet is not a great place to engage. You mm. can't really understand intention and tone and all that. But to invite people into conversation about the issue and remind them that Christians are not all in agreement on, the, on that issue as well. Because I am a Christian and I don't agree. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so, so it's a voice for the other side. That's right. Thank you. Agree? Uh, Any thoughts? Uh, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Um, I think um, even when I receive uh, something like that, um, I would generally not approve, not so much on the basis of the article mm. of the petition, but the idea of the petition itself. <laughs> I, I'm not very comfortable with petitions. La. I right. think they, they, are, they are not really about having dialogues, having conversations. Mm. They're about saying, this is what I believe, take it or leave it. You know, we're going to push through with sheer mm. number of people. Uh, uh, you know, and you know, bulk of people does not necessarily mean that it is the right thing to believe or to right. have for a general society. You know, if let's say a society is made up of 
primarily very uh, 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 religious people, and then they all sign for this petition to, let's say, uh, do something uh, 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 um, um, that is uh, discriminatory towards a certain group of people. That doesn't make it right, right? So it's not about number of people, I think, and there's something about the whole uh, going about petitioning as a way to push for something to be accepted rather than having a discussion is mm. pretty problematic to me. Right. Yeah. Yes, Sulin. Can I just add on? Um, but I think there's a role for petitions in Singapore because right. of the way, in a way, we, we are not very advanced in terms of the way we do civic engagement and the mm. platforms for that. So in that sense, it becomes a platform where we feel empowered to have a voice to say something. But it cannot stop at the petition. Yes. Um, because like it or not, government does pay heed to petition numbers, right? Um, so that is one form of a strategy, mm. but how can we go beyond that or leverage on that and not right. just stop there? Yeah. yeah. No, thanks for saying that, you know, and I think that's a very balanced response, right? And I actually want to just jump in here and just chime in, right? Because uh, this is a hypothetical question, uh, but I want to tell you a true story, okay? Because several years ago, uh, I had a group of Christian friends uh, who circulated a similar petition like this to uphold 377A against the LGBTQ activists right, who are trying to repeal uh, 377A. A lot of these friends at that time, um, it was quite a number of years ago, uh, did not know that I was LGBTQ. And we had served together in ministry uh, many years ago. Uh, we were on the same mission field, we were on uh, similar teams, and we actually grew very close. And so we actually really knew each other as human beings, right, as fellow siblings in Christ. You know? And so when one of them circulated a, a letter like this, and it was on email at that time, and said, please sign this petition, right, because they are at it again. We need to, right? And I felt very moved at that time that I needed to speak up. And what I needed to do was actually share my own story. And so I started writing a long letter, and I hit reply to all who were in that email group, right? And I said, you know, dear friends, you know, when you talk about us and them, I am both us and them. I am Christian, and I am also LGBTQ. And I'm writing this because I feel I need to share my journey with you. Uh, and more importantly, because when you do this, and we talk about things like this, and you circulate them uh, in your communities, the people who are hidden LGBTQ members in your congregations are actually very hurt um, by these gestures. And you don't know. Because you don't know that they have never come out to you. And I feel like I have to speak up and to share my journey. And I told them one thing. I said, you know what? I am the same person they have known me to be. All right, that you've known me all these years, I'm that same person. The only thing that's changed with me uh, is that I'm no longer afraid to tell you the truth about myself, to be real, you know. And, and I know that we might disagree uh, on theological points on this, but I just wanted to share this with you. And after I hit that send all, <laughs> I waited and like, oh, you can imagine how hard it was, right? I just like, I don't know what kind of responses are going to come back. Uh, and I was bracing myself, right, for the like onslaught, and the interesting thing was that the first response came back half an hour later. And it was from a very good friend. He told me, and, and to the whole group, right? He said, you know what? When I first read your email, I couldn't believe it. And I had to read it again. Because I don't think I have ever known anyone who's both Christian and LGBTQ. And I was like kind of giggling to myself because I was thinking like, I think you do. It's just that they've never come out to you. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm the first one. And I think what it did was that it broke down all the stereotypes that people had about someone who's LGBTQ. Like, how can someone who loves God like that 
and serves God like that, be LGBTQ. I mean, it totally kind of just, you know, yeah, um, changed a lot of perspectives then. But one of the things that he said um, that I was very moved by was he said, you know what, I would love to hear more about your story, but I want you to know that it does not change the love that I have for you and the respect and the friendship that we have. You know, and most of the other replies that came back after that echoed similar things. I mean, some of them, of course, were trying to preach to me, you know, how wrong I could be in my perspective, but always ended with the affirmation of friendship, which actually surprised me, you know, and that was actually my happy story, if I was to share it, right, that it can actually be a happy story, surprisingly, you know, and so I think my point is uh, don't be afraid, you know, if it's the right time, like what Sulin says, when you are ready, you know, um, do share, and you might be surprised by what God is doing, uh, even through that conversation. Right? Okay, the second question I have for you is, how would you deal with a pastor that has not openly said being gay is wrong? And, and there are many, right? Neither have they supported it. So very neutral, either or, don't ask, don't tell, right? But have instead insinuated it's wrong using indirect methods making it hard for you to continue going to church and pretend it's okay. So how would you deal with that? So you have a pastor who has not openly said, you know, gay is wrong, uh, has not supported it either, but has insinuated it's wrong using indirect methods. How would you deal with that? I... I guess this is a question from an LGBT person. Mm. Um, so I think when you want to choose a church, obviously leaving a church is very difficult because mm. it's your community, your friends there, maybe you're serving there. It's not easy to leave, right? So if only the answer was simple, let's find another church. <laughs> no, but maybe that's not possible. Right. I mean, if, that, if it really became such to the point that you feel like, I can't stay in this church anymore because every week I'm getting hurt. Okay, then maybe preferably have to consider going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I don't know where you could go. Obviously, FCC is open. <laughs> um, we will always affirm and welcome you. Um, now, if you choose to stay in that church, then I think that does take some strength. And I, and I think it's important not to do it alone. Mm-hmm. Like, if you feel like, well, I'm, I'm under attack all by myself. No one supports me. No one knows what I'm going through. And that's very tough. So I don't know if you're able to find other people who can support you and affirm you and love you as you are, Mm. um, which will then maybe give you some strength to say, okay, there are some people who have homophobia and they're preaching it from the pulpit and this is going to continue, um, but I'm still going to know that God loves me for who I am. Uh, You know, I'm not going to let that get me down. Mm. Now, is it up to you to change the pastor's mind? Well, that's also very difficult yeah. because they may not want to listen. Of course, if you want to offer to speak to them, that would take a lot of courage. Maybe it's a good thing. If you feel God is calling you to say to the pastor, hey, by the way, can I talk with you? Mm-hmm. And you share, you know, the things you've said, you know, it hurts me in these ways, you know. Maybe the guy doesn't know. Maybe mm-hmm. he's not aware. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he's intentional and then he will start preaching, in which case, like Stuhlen <laughs> says, maybe it's time to walk away. <laughs> Yeah, but most of all, no God loves you. Mm. Um, I would say it, it takes courage to leave your existing church, but 
I think to love yourself enough to recognize that um, if the messages, if, if you know, the behaviors are harmful, then you deserve better and you need to be in an environment where you can love yourself and have others love you for, for who you are as well. But I think also to have faith that, I think it's hard for most of us to walk away from the churches we grew up in or that we have community, not so much because of the sermons or the teachings, but let's mm. be honest, it's because of the community right. and the relationships there. Mm. But I think maybe to, um, maybe faith is not the right word, but I would like to believe that there will be Christians uh, within your existing church, your existing relationships, who at the end of the day um, can come alongside you. They may not agree with you theologically or whatever, but that they will treasure the friendship or the relationship enough, mm. kind of like what Pauline shared just now. Um, and even if you leave the church, those relationships can continue and maybe sometimes even in a better shape and form because you come to this relationship renewed or, or you know, more confident or being able to be more vulnerable. And so the intimacy also develops. So it's not necessarily a bad thing mm. um, to leave a particular community. And it doesn't have to be a total divorce. It, it can be exist in other shapes and forms while you find more healing and affirming community for yourself. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. Agree anything add? I, I, I agree that this should be a question answered by an LGBT person. And you'll probably do it better because uh, it is a personal question. And the kind of hurt that you go through, that is something that is, you know, um, 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 you, you can understand how far you can go with it mm. or, or not. I mean, you know, you, you can gauge, gauge that. But I think for uh, the rest of us, I think the issue has, has been, I don't think I've ever been to a church that I agree 100% with all the things I say. Sometimes I'm horrified at some of the things I say as well. <laughs> and I was like, how can, how can that be preached on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the pulpit, right? And it's not even about LGBT issues, it's about right. yeah, anything from climate change to, to uh, you know, what to do with your, with your time and what's considered holiness, things like that, you know. Uh, 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 there's a range of things that we tend to disagree with, you know. And I guess going to church is to also be about accepting differences in beliefs you know I mean even within denominations uh, 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 that there is that that I mean I think it's very much imbued into Christianity uh, diversity even in in the mind in, 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 in a microscopic uh, way so uh, uh, that is something I think we can bring up into the community as well to be able to celebrate that um, really I remember you, you can never know when a happy story will come out, right? What I remember was there was a case where someone, an old friend of mine who became a pastor, contacted me of a small church. Uh, and he, he did tell me that, you know, one of his uh, member, congregation member came up to him uh, and, and said that, you know, he's, uh, he's gay, right? And then, um, and it could go anywhere, any, any direction. But in this case, uh, the pastor actually wanted to help mm. because uh, he feels you know, that this is his responsibility, not so much to judge, but you know, to say how can we be there for, for, for this person. Yeah. And, and contacted me and I was like, and, and, and he, he says that I, I, I know that you are involved. I mean, you come to FCC once a while to, to talk and then can you get me in touch? 
with them so that they can <laughs> teach me how to how wow. to how to talk to these people, right? right. Uh, talk to his, uh, his his congregation because yeah. that's how much he loved his 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 his, his, church, his fellow church yes. member, yes. right? And that's the thing that you know transcends the disagreement or whatever beliefs that's that right. we may not understand our mm. ignorance. Mm. Uh, the the love of Christ transcends our ignorance and transcends the things that we presume to be uh, true or what, right? Mm. And that's, that's the important thing. Mm. Can I add on? I mean, that's a really important point, Rui, because um, when I was pastoring the church as well, we did have uh, pastors of other churches that's approaching right. FCC mm-hmm. to want to have uh, a dialogue very few and far between. I think not more than two during my time. Mm. Uh, but just to want to have a chat and to understand a bit more. And right. I think, uh, you know, Pauline, you should probably add on because I think there yes. have been a few more since then. Mm. So, I mean, to answer that question, I mean, you don't feel like you have to take on your pastor, but, but refer them right. or, or ask whether they'll be open to speaking to someone yes, from FCC. Because yes. uh, so, the power dynamics are a bit more equal yes, that way. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and thanks for sharing that, uh, Sulin, because, um, I, you know, the thing that Miak and I, and Miak is the other pastor in FCC, you know, have had a privilege of, is like for you, is actually having other pastors come approach us and say, can we just have coffee and ask some questions yeah. ask, and talk a little bit about your experiences and all. And in recent years, we've actually had pastors who have shifted so much in their own position on LGBTQ issues that they are actually open and affirming. And their congregations are affirming. Yes. And they're trying to move their congregations to becoming affirming congregations. And to be honest, five years ago, if you asked me and told me that this is going to happen, I'll be like, no, in Singapore, you know, and we get a chance to be involved in that. Yes, are, they out, are they out in terms of being affirming? So, and who are they? Can you please list now for everyone's uh, okay. benefit? So, okay. this is something exciting, right? We will announce it at a point when they are ready. Yeah, patience, okay? patience. Patience, okay? okay. Patience okay. because you know, I mean, you know, I mean, as allies, right? Even coming out as allies, lots of fear, right? Because, you know, bombardment. Can you imagine as a church, if you're an ally church, you know, if you're a church that's affirming in Singapore, the kind of backlash you would get, right? And so, counting the cost is really important. But they are moving along in that journey, and we are walking with them in that part of the journey. And so, so that's really exciting, right? So within their churches, they are openly affirming, not publicly so at the moment, but we are just really excited at how things are moving, even in Singapore. Yeah. So I want to ask you this question, and I think you know something that David mentioned earlier. And this person said, "I have a strong fear of being asked which church I go to by Christian world superiors, right? Because I." Indicate my religion as Christianity. Does anyone have experience with this? And, wow. I'm, I'm, and David has experience with this. Yes. Exactly my story. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I work in a company where most of the managing, management are Christians, evangelical mm-hmm. Christians. And we even have a fellowship where we all meet every Friday. So this question does come up a lot. Mm-hmm. And of course, I, at first I felt quite nervous to say I go to FCC. Because immediately I thought, oh, first they thought of me as a brother. Now suddenly they'll think of me as a wolf among the sheep, mm. uh, false teacher or whatever. So they'll see me differently if I tell them. But I think, um, I think when I finally told them, the response wasn't as bad as I had feared, actually, mm. um, because I, was, I explained why. And I said, look, the reason I go to FCC is because I believe in Jesus' call to love. Right? To love even those, even if you disagree with someone, you should love them. And Jesus... By his own example, he fellowship with the people of his day who were considered sinners. So even if you think that FCC is wrong, you should still go there, right? And, and see for yourself. 
And I go there proudly, you know, <laughs> because I've come and realized that actually LGBT people are just like you and me. Mm. Their relationships are no different than mine. Mm. So I've come to see. So I think after that, the fear kind of went away after the first time. And then now I'm just able to say, yeah, I go to LCC. Mm. And if so, someone says, oh, what is that? And I'll say, okay, I'll tell you what we're about. Mm. Yeah, but the, it's always scary the first time because you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And of course, there's a real risk of being labeled or rejected. But I think if you've, let's say you've been there a while, they know what you're about, they know you're a devoted Christian, then when you finally tell them, they already, like Pauline said, they already know you as a person, mm. so they're less likely to say, oh, must be a heretic or something. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, be prepared for some debates, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Thanks for sharing, David. And anything else to add for this one? Okay, so we're going to wrap up with the final question. Okay. Can you explain why love the sinner, hate the sin, approach may not be right for LGBTQ Christians? Because when you say that, you are basically saying that we are sinners. Mm. Uh, that, you know, there's something wrong with who we are fundamentally, intrinsically. Uh, it's not just the behavior, but it's you as your person, your core personhood. And that goes to shame. Uh, so guilt and shame are very different. Guilt is usually associated with behaviors. Mm -hmm. But shame is where there is a fundamental problem with who you are. Not something you chose, but something you were born with. And so it is absolutely damaging because you are basically telling the person there's something wrong with you. Uh, you need to change. And some Christians try, but uh, they are very, very rarely successful, uh, if at all. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of stories about, you mm. know, relapsing right. uh, or, you know, um, thinking that they are no longer gay, but actually they're just in suppressing. And, you know, a lot of violence is done to the self. Mm. Uh, and, and so you do hear of, you know, uh, depression and suicide and just, just um, not living full lives, right? So, so that kind of messaging is dangerous because of that. Because fundamentally, it cannot be changed. Uh, and fundamentally, it is not a sin. Uh, so what are you saying? You mean you are basically um, tearing down a person's uh, personhood uh, and with no opportunity for any kind of uh, successful redemption, if I can put it that way, because it's not going to be successful. Mm. Or it very, very uh, uh, rarely is and, and it's not permanent. Mm. So that's why. Lah. Thank you, Sulin. And anything else to add? Yeah, that was a perfect answer. Thank you. And I just want to thank you all for joining us tonight. Uh, and a very big thank you to our panelists, uh, Gui, Sulin, David, uh, for being vulnerable and sharing your stories with us. Um, and if you have any comments, uh, questions or feedback on today's session, suggestions for the future, please go to fcc.la slash heartfeedback. And we really enjoyed spending this time with you, and I really enjoyed this time with all of you as well. And good night, and have a lovely weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.